smelled sour, I guess like a carton of milk left out in the sun. The 300 thread count Egyptian cotton bed sheets, they stuck like sap. I peeled off the saturated sheets and rolled over, repositioned again and again, uh, unable to find the cool side of the pillow. In a pool of sweat, I, I dare not look at the clock because I, I knew it would just, it would make matters worse. I mean, how, how many cups of coffee had it been? Not more than the typical one to two per day. Was it stress or worry, anxiety? I don't know. But despite all this, uh, despite the liquid leaking from my skin, it couldn't have been more than a comfortable 68 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit. It was dark outside. All the world is asleep. All the crows who gather and make their nests in the overgrown Christmas tree were silent. But my mind was anything but. It was racing, pressing on, unable to slow down. <laughs> it was like each sleepless moment by moment, I was met by a new terrible memory. Not the tragic such and such that happened to so and so, but the haunting, you know, shameful scenes starring none other than me. Words and images, entire playbacks, like a Rolodex cycling through, like an endless social media scroll. You know, the kind of memories that, that make your skin crawl or make your face flush or your stomach feel sour like a, a carton of milk left out in the sun. I didn't know what to do with this, with these, these thoughts, these images that were just racing to mind. I mean, it was crushing, humiliating. It was awkward, these memories, these thoughts. They were, they were embarrassing and painful, shameful scenes starring none other than me. And I knew that in that moment, as I lay there in a pool of sweat, I could have you know, escaped, in a sense, by just lying there until dawn, still haunted by the, the memories that make your skin crawl. Or I could also escape in a different way. I could flip on the lights, turn on the TV, bury the past, and, and then move on. But I felt in that moment compelled to do something, something different. You know, Paul in his letter to the Philippians, he reflects also on his past. He talks about all his accolades, all the laurels, all the achievements, all the, the degrees, the titles, the salaries, all of those things, all of his self-serving goals. And you know what he calls them? He calls them sewer trash. In Greek, it's actually a cuss word, skubalon meaning something like the excrement of animals or dung or plain old rubbish. It's the combination of two Greek words, kuon, meaning dog, and balo, a verb meaning to cast or, or to throw. Essentially, it's what you throw to the dogs, 
Not the uh, dogs like today that we drop off at doggy daycare or, or doggy hotels like Chateau Pouchy for like 400 bucks a night. Like not the dogs that, that we feed on a silver platter, meals like uh, non-GMO, grain-free, organic duck liver. No, in the ancient Near East, it was, <laughs> it was a mangy, scavenging beast. It was despised. Dogs were, were treated with contempt. I mean, it's what you throw to the dogs, essentially, what is what Paul's talking about here, this sewer trash. It's what he compares all of his laurels, all of his accolades, all of his achievements to in relation to Jesus, in relation to the value of knowing Jesus. I mean, he just sounds like off his rocker. He says stuff like, yes, everything else is worthless. He says this in Philippians chapter, chapter three, verse eight. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Like, like skip down to verse 10. And I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I, I want to suffer with him. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I mean, just just sounds like a whack job. But he's found something so much more valuable compared to everything else. And it's what he wants to tell the young church in Philippi all about. Like, sure, he's in chains riding to writing from Rome, writing to Philippi. Here he is about to experience bodily separation from his head at the hand of, of King Nero and his, his, or his Emperor Nero and all of his henchmen in the few coming months or even, even years. But still he writes to this young church, this struggling church at Philippi, surrounded by mountains on three sides there in, in northern Greece, where it's famous for its natural springs of water and its gold mines. It's situated there on the Via Ignatia, a famous Roman highway. It's this, this stopping point, a critical stopping point on this road that connects the west to the east. Paul tells them things like, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He tells them things like, you must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. He tells them, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. And then there's that whole bit about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But at the moment, he sounds like a whack job, like off his rocker, calling his laundry list of achievements sewer trash. There's a, a guy who had his audiences eating from the palm of his hand. I mean, when he would tell a joke, chairs would tip over. People couldn't control their laughter. When he uh, wanted silence, you could hear a pin drop. When he got passionate, their hands sounded like thunder. And when he got emotional, they ran out of tissues. Well, uh, a couple came up to him after one of the services at one of the many stops in one of the many, many churches on the circuit. They came up to him and they told him, we just love you so 
much. We, we love to hear from you. We tune into every single message, every single podcast. We like every single Instagram post, every single Facebook. We, we put a like on it. We follow you on, on Twitter, on YouTube. You are something special. You are absolutely incredible. And you know what he said? He said, do you know, do you know how many times I've watched pornography in the past three weeks? Their faces just dropped. The woman said, oh dear. And they hurried away. All that we do is for the applause of nail-scarred hands. All that we do is for the applause of nail-scarred hands. So yeah, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul's not a whack job. He's not off his rocker. He knows the infinite value of knowing Jesus. He knows that ultimately and that in everything, all that we do is for the applause of nail-scarred hands. And so he continues in Philippians 3.12, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. Like Paul ain't perfect. He's fully flawed. But I press on. The Greek is dioko. It means something like I aggressively chase, like a hunter pursuing prey. You know, it can also be used negatively to mean something like to persecute. I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. In other words, I hunt down this life for Jesus because Jesus gave his life for me. I don't cling to the past and all its sewer trash. No, I grab hold of this Christ life because Christ grabbed hold of me. I love the word, this picture, dioko, this Greek verb. I aggressively chase like a hunter pursuing prey. I love what it brings to mind as it relates to discipleship and following Jesus. Tara's brother is an avid bow hunter. You know, he's got severed deer heads uh, adorning the walls in his living room. Zeke likes to call him uh, Rudolph. And I'll ask him from time to time, we'll be like, hey, bro, uh, have you murdered any animals lately? But I I think about this and and all that's involved in his heartless pursuit of helpless Bambi, you know, the camouflage, the poison oak, the deer urine, the the silent tracking through the wilderness for days on end, this dioko, it's methodical and it's focused. It's kind of like the methodical focus that Paul brings to his life for Jesus. You know, and for Paul, This ain't his first rodeo. Like in the past, in Acts chapter 9, his name was Saul. He was a a religious terrorist hunting down the kooky Christian followers of the way. And there on the dusty road to Damascus, he is quite literally blinded by the light. And then with sightless eyes, his entire sensory process shifts to his ears to hear a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The Greek there is dioko, the same verb, but here it's used negatively. Like, why do you aggressively chase like a hunter pursuing prey? Why do you persecute? And Saul, I mean, has just gone blind. Saul, soon to be Paul, he responds like, 
Who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Again, it's the same verb, dioko, the one you're aggressively chasing, like a hunter pursuing prey. But here, you know, it's used negatively again. Here you are persecuting. Saul aggressively chased like a hunter pursuing prey, but for all the wrong reasons and all the most backwards of ways. And knowing that now, Paul must look back and think, man, that is a memory that just makes my skin crawl. You know, like, like, man, why did I do that? Why, why was I such a, a terrible person? Why, why did I make those decisions, the thoughts that we all have? Looking back now, but his life changed. Like the usage of Dioko, not to be used negatively, but entirely different and new, Saul To Paul, I hunt down this life for Jesus because Jesus gave his life for me. Every thought, every action, every word, every encounter, every conversation, every moment of every day. No, he writes in verse 13. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Like even if the the couples come up after the service saying, we love you. We love everything about you. You are incredible. I mean, like even after all the efforts, all the degrees, all the titles and salaries and accolades and laurels, Paul, Paul says, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. In hunting down this life for Jesus, because Jesus gave his life for me, I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on. There it is again, Dioko. I aggressively chase like a hunter pursuing prey. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. As runners would uh, compete in the ancient Olympic games to be crowned in headgear, not like the kind my sister wore to third grade for her chompers, but, but for crowns of foliage or precious metals, like we also press on. But not for headgear that you know, whose leaves will wither in the coming days or whose shimmer will tarnish to rust. No, we press on for the heavenly prize, the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. But like, what is it? What is that heavenly prize? Like Elsewhere in the New Testament, there's all this talk of crowns and feasts and unfading glory. There's talks of golden streets and gemstones and pearly gates. But, but what if, what if the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us is himself? What if it's himself? Is that enough? Or do I require other stuff? The perks, the the add-ons, all the amenities. Like, do I hunt down this life for Jesus, for Jesus? Or because of what he can get me? Do I grab hold of this Christ life because of Christ? Or just because of what he can get me? (laughs) I mean, that's consumerism at its finest. 
transactional theology of consumption. But if you're the type of people I know you to be, like you want to aggressively chase Jesus for Jesus. You want to hunt down this life for Jesus because of Jesus, because Jesus gave his life for you. You want to grab hold of this Christ life because Christ grabbed hold of you. He is the greatest heavenly prize. He is our methodical focus. He is our attention. And Paul says this pressing on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize, it's about focusing on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. But each sleepless moment by moment, I was met by a a new terrible memory. Not the tragic such and such that happened to so and so, but, but rather the haunting and shameful scenes starring none other than me. Words and images and entire playback cycled through like a Rolodex, like an endless social media scroll. And the kind of memories that just make your skin crawl, the kind that make your face flush kind that make your stomach feel sour like a carton of milk left out in the sun. And yet I felt compelled to do something, something different. Like, to actually like relive each cycled playback. Each image, each word, to relive it. I felt compelled to mentally revisit each haunting and shameful scenes starring none other than me. I felt compelled to touch in a way, touch each crushing and humiliating, embarrassing, uh, awkward and painful and shameful scene. And it's, it's hard to put into words, but I guess to come to terms with it in a way. To come to terms with it, whether it means acceptance or forgiveness, or even severance, like scissors, cutting the cord. I figure if Paul, the ex-religious terrorist, the hunter of Christians, you know, could do it, then maybe I could too. Like his Rolodex, it must have been a painful cycle. The endless social media scroll haunting, like how many Christians had he hunted down like a dog? But maybe he realized what I was beginning to realize that in a way, the more I did it, like the easier it actually became. Even with the kind of memories that make your skin crawl. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. It's freeing and it's actually the only way forward. I believe that our, our pasts at times can look like sewer trash. Or it can look like shiny plaques dangling from nails driven through the drywall. Or sometimes it can look like both. But that word I think is very interesting, plaque. It's one of those weird words in the English language that can mean strikingly different things in different contexts. Like a decaying sticky film of bacteria coating your teeth like the witch with her candy and her rotted teeth in the poster at the dentist. Or the fatty substances thickening the walls of your blood vessels illustrated on the pamphlet at the cardiologist. Or it's the yay for me symbol shining on my wall. 
You know, maybe Paul's forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Maybe it's not just for the screw-ups that keep us up late at night. For some of us, and I don't mean like some of us, not all of us, but for some of us, the plaques on our walls decay our relationship with God and others. They rot out our ability to perceive who God is and who we are and the distance between thanks to our pride. Like like they deteriorate our life's purpose that all that we do is for the applause of nail-scarred hands. For some of us, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead is for our past screw-ups, for our shiny plaques, or sometimes for both point is learn from the past and leave it now let's look forward to what lies ahead verse 15 says let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things like looking forward to what lies ahead if you disagree on some point i believe god will make it plain to you but we must hold on to the progress we have already made dear brothers and sisters Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. I mean, it sounds so arrogant, Paul. Like, pattern your lives after mine? But the imitation here is about imitating the act of giving up. He laid out his laurels in verses 5 through 6, and then he completely trashes them. He calls them scubalon, sewer trash, what you throw to the dog. So follow that example realizing that there's nothing better or equally compared to the value of knowing Jesus. To imitate Paul is to imitate Jesus, to live a life that's heavenly focused and sacrificially oriented toward the good of others, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Verse 18 through 21, For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ, like non-believers who, who oppose the church. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. That's an image for self-centered people who reject the gospel, who reject the example of Jesus. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. That means the the true home of Christians is where the values of the gospel govern life. And we are eagerly waiting for him, for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. In chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. That is, stand firm, remain faithful. Remain faithful in the hope of the resurrection soon coming. I love you and long to see you, dear friends. For you are my joy and the crown I receive from my work. Clearly, there are far far better things ahead than any we leave behind. There are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. It's what C.S. Lewis wrote in a letter from England to uh, 
a woman, an American woman named Mary Willis Shelburne. She was twice widowed and she was dying. It's a, a Valentine's letter if there ever was one. Ironically, not the Valentine's type of love we often think of. After all, love's one of those weird words in the English language that can mean strikingly different things in different contexts. Ironically, Lewis himself would die within five months, and she would go on to live for 12 more years. And yet, here she thought her days were numbered, as she lay in a hospital wrapped in cotton bedsheets. Did they stick like sap? Did she find herself swimming in pools of sweat, with words, images, entire playbacks cycling through like a Rolodex? haunted by the endless scroll of the past. And maybe it's where you find yourself today. Kept up at night by the memories that make your skin crawl. The memories that make your face flush. Your stomach feels sour like a carton of milk left out in the sun. Maybe you feel chased down by dogs. Not the type we put up at Chateau Pucci for 400 bucks a day. No, the scavenging, mangy beast, despised animals in the ancient Near East. The crushing, humiliating, embarrassing, awkward, painful, shameful scenes always seem to have a way of tracking you down. Maybe the shiny plaques dangling from the nails in the drywall are decaying your soul to death. Your family can't stand you. Your friends want nothing to do with you because it's always about you and you and you and you. Maybe it's the transactional consumption or theology of consumption. Maybe it's the, the transactional theology of consumption. You want all that Jesus has to offer. You just don't want Jesus. Maybe you got off track along the way. And forgot that all that we do is for the applause of nail-scarred hands. Maybe you just see zero progress, like with everything. You feel weak and mortal, especially mortal, racked by time and the difficulty of life. But I want you to know that a letter came from England that sounds a lot like a letter that came from Rome some 1900 years before. And it read, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. And I think if we learn to live like that, knowing that what awaits far outweighs anything else. And I think if we learn to live for it now with every thought, every action, every word, every encounter, every conversation, every moment of every day saturated in staying true to the Lord. We might just see the ability and the value of forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. We might just see that all that we do is for the applause of nail-scarred hands, and it's worth it. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that because of the sacrifice of your Son, and the hope that it brings to our lives and the truth and the peace and the new life that it brings. I thank you that we can forget 
the past and look forward to what lies ahead. Lord, the past has defined us in so many ways. It has made us into who we are, and we are grateful for those things. And sometimes we're even grateful for the tough things. But God, I just pray that we would learn to leave what belongs in the past in the past. And that we would look forward to await what is to come. And that we would learn to live for it now. Because I know, God, that if we're the type of people who live for heaven now, it sure can change how we operate on this earth. Simply by being Christians, simply by being followers of you, living by the by the ways that you live, Jesus. It can change. It can radically alter the course of history. So I pray, Lord, today, if someone wants to experience a radical change in their life, that they would open up their heart, say, God, I'm done with the past. I want to invite you in. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. (laughs) You, Lord, hunted me down and gave your life for me. But you rose from the grave and I believe it. I want to follow you. So come into my life. Become my king. I want to follow you all the days. Holy Spirit, guide me in every single way. Well, we love you. Our future is in your hands. And we want to live for that right now. In Jesus' name, amen.